Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. To meet with you every week and to be able to teach the Bible to you and for us to go on a journey together. And it's been a great journey as we're, this year we've been walking through the Bible. We've been, we identified these major events within Scripture that give the whole heart of, of God, His big plan for your life, His plan for the church, um, the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of the law. It's been a great journey. And today we're going we're gonna to zoom in. But just so, as a reminder to you, there's a passage out of Romans, that Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Because as we're in the Old Testament, you think, man, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life? What, well, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in the former days. What former days? He's talking about, this was even before the New Testament was written. He's saying what is written in the, in, in the, in the book that we have, in the prophets and the kings and chronicles and Genesis and what, whatever was written is for our instruction. Everybody say instruction. And sometimes instruction isn't fun, is it? Because instruction, when you read it or when you are instructed, usually what that means is you got to make a decision whether you're going to do it or not. Usually also what it means is when you receive instruction, listen, I received instruction quite often from my parents. Sometimes it ended up on my behind, but it was good instruction, amen? <laughs> and when you receive it, you, you can either follow it or you can reject it. But the, the Bible is for us to be able to walk in God's perfect blessing and purpose for our life. It actually, it is the manual of what it means to live a life that actually matters. And as we submit ourselves to our creator, we see the blessing of his word in our lives. And today, we're going to lean in on a couple kings in the book of 2 Kings. It's not the prettiest of story. One of them is, one of them is definitely not. I want to talk a little bit today about the favor of God. I titled this, if you want God's favor, then do this. And that's what we're going to talk about. Actually, you, want to, you could spin it because I'm going to end with what you want to do. If you don't want God's favor, really, then do what I'm going to talk about first. We're going to lean into something today that has really impacted not the world, well, yes, but differently. It, it's made its way from humanity, and it's made its way into the church, believers, Christians, just like you and I. And it's not just been for the last few years or the last decade. This issue has made its way, actually, you can, you can track it all the way back to the beginning of time. It's a major issue with humanity. It's what caused Satan to fall and rebellion against God. It's what... What caused Adam and Eve to fall out of a relationship with God? It's what caused the kings we're going to look at today of God's people to fall away from everything that he had for them. And the same goes for us. What I'm going to talk about at first is this issue of pride. For us as believers, I believe with all of, as your pastor, this is the number one sin that keeps us from receiving and walking in everything that God has for us. 
It's instruction. So you might feel a little sore on the backside as you leave today, but actually you're gonna be encouraged and grateful for it because me and you, we're going to receive the instruction of the Lord. He's gonna speak to us from his word. And so this idea of pride, we're gonna first look at the destructive power of pride, but then we're gonna also look at the restorative power of humility. The first pride is the wrecking ball to everything that is a blessing to God's people. But as we make this personal, for, for me, for you, for all believers, pride is a wrecking ball to our lives. Think about marriages, think about friendships, think about church friends, think about life. The one thing that wrecked that relationship, one thing that wrecked that situation was pride. Someone either acting selfishly or someone not repenting or something, that something got up in our crawl is what we, I say in the South, something got up in there that said, uh-uh, and pride set in. As we continue to walk through the Bible this year, we read the story of God's people and it's just shocking. Like you, as you're reading, you're like, are you really gonna do this again? It's like, it's like listening to a, like a, a country song. It's like you lose your wife, you lose your house, you lose your nation, you lose your dog. You know, you, the, the fish broke your line. Like, oh my gosh. And you just, it's, it's like this broken record over and over and over and over again. God's people rejecting God's word, resulting in their destruction or causing destruction in their life. God was faithful to his covenant and promise, but they lived in hell and they didn't have to. And this one stumbling block of pride, they continue to trip over. They co it continued to delay God's provision for their life. It continued to block God's joy that he had for them. It hindered their peace. It destroyed God's blessing and their relationships with one another. It caused their vulnerability because they were too proud to actually be under spiritual authority. So, they, so then they positioned themselves and became vulnerable to the enemy's strategies. Pride also, think about this. They had the opportunity as the children of God, the children of Israel, that from one generation to another generation to pass inheritance along, to pass blessing along, to pass provision along, but they squandered it and their own children and grandchildren didn't reap what they should have because of pride. And this is the, I believe, the most destructive sin in their lives, in our lives, that's consistently overlooked, consistently swept under the carpet, consistently ignored. It's really ignored in the realm of religion or in the realm of even Christians. It's pride. But I believe today that God wants to show us another way. Wouldn't you agree? He, he wants to break the stronghold of pride off of our lives. And what a stronghold is, we, the scripture says that we tear down strongholds or, we, that it, or, or, or thoughts, we take captive thoughts that of anything that is contrary to the word of God or to the will of God. 
So a stronghold is something in our minds that truth can't penetrate. It's like a wall. It's a stronghold. And so that truth of God's, God's word can't penetrate the walls in our mind. And so they, it, it's not able to be received in the workings of our life. So we're not able to receive the blessing of the word of God. But this is what we know today under the new covenant with Christ in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. He can break down strongholds in our minds that keep us from being what God's called us to be. Amen. So we want to receive that today as a church. We want to receive that today as, as families. We want to receive that today if you're married today with your spouse. You want to receive the stronghold breaker smashing that wall in your head so that you can be, so you can walk in what he has for you. So I'm going to zoom in on three kings today. We're going to look at three kings. The first one that we're gonna look at, his name is Manasseh, and he, has, he's, he is king, he's been, he's been put on the throne of, of uh, Judah, which is, which is the line of which, where Jesus came, that's why he's called the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the first king, he had this opportunity to walk with God. He had this opportunity as king, he is representing God to the people. For you fathers, you represent God to your family. You have a role, you have a responsibility. It's different than your wives. It's different than the rest of the people in the, in the home. He, he stands as the, as the leader of this nation and he sits on the throne. And I want you to, I, I want us to hear about his leadership over the nation of Israel and his area of, as the king of Judah. Second Kings 21, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Now that's alarming. I don't know any 12-year-old who would actually do well with a crown on their heads, but I know some who would like to give it a shot, and I admire that, so it's great. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places, now look at this, that his father Hezekiah had actually destroyed. High places are, are things that exalt themselves up against the, the, the purpose of God, the knowledge of God. God himself, he tore, Hezekiah tore them down. This goofball rebuilds them. He rebuilt the high places. He also erected altars to Baal, which is demon worship. He made Asherah poles, which is an altar. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, he bowed down to all the starry host and worshiped them. Who, what, what is this? What's he talking about there? Listen, it, it, we covered it a little bit earlier in this series that there is, a, uh, there is a heavenly council, the council of God that you read in scriptures. There are different levels of authority within angelic beings. And some of these, 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 um, these angelic beings that were created by God to carry out the purposes of God on earth rebelled from God. And so they set themselves up as, as the starry hosts, the ones of, of power. They, they, instead of leading the people of humanity to worship Yahweh, they allowed the people to worship them and they led them to worship them. And this is who the starry host, that's who, who, who this king led them to worship these fallen demonic angelic beings. He built altars, verse four, in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. 
In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. Practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritualists and psychics, and he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing God's anger. This is, this is crazy to me. This king, he, is, he, he, he leans into the same sin that the other kings walked in before. It wasn't really the, the, the building of the, of the altars to other gods, the building of, of Asherah poles in the temple of God, that's, a, that's a, a manifestation of really what was going on, and that was pride. On the surface, though, when you look at Manasseh, and this, this, this is, when I was reading this and understanding this, this, this was really spoke to me. But Manasseh, on the surface, you'd say he was set up for success. His father was Hezekiah. Manasseh even reigned alongside his father. He was present when his father tore down the demonic altars. He was present when his father knocked over the Asherah poles. He was present, went to the temple, made sacrifices to Yahweh. He saw God's blessing on Hezekiah. He reigned with Hezekiah. He was not taught these evil things. He was not taught how to worship demons. He was not taught, well, this is you just abuse God's people for your own purposes. He was actually taught the opposite. And the reason he fell, the reason why he steps into power, his father dies, the crown, the crown sits on his head, somewhere in the, in the midst of all of that, he decided, you know what, I don't want to be like my dad. I want to, I want to go my own way. You know what? I want to be like the nations around me. I want to be accepted as a, as a, as a king like them. And when you, when you hear this, when you think of this, think of your own families. Think of the reality that, that, you, that you can teach your children in the ways of the Lord. You can help them know scripture, which is all these things you should. You, should teach, you can teach them the character of God. But if you don't teach them, Humility and submission. They will know the word of God, but they will not humble themselves under it, nor will they submit to it. Humility. Like this king, he was set up to like, yes, he's going to carry on his father's legacy. And he says, no. And he set up, think about this. He went into the temple of, of where he used to go with his dad to worship. And he replaced the altar of God with another altar to another God. And this was the God of his choosing. He chose these gods. He was king. He was the man. This is what he gets to do. And it all goes back to the reality that, Man that Manasseh actually thought, think about this, he thought it was within his power as king that he could choose who God actually is. He knew he needed God or a God, he knew that he lived in a spiritual world, but he wanted to be the one to choose. He wanted to be the, the, the one to, to choose my truth. This is my truth, not the truth, no, my truth. 
He wanted to be the one that defines what, what God he's going to worship. No, I'll choose God. And, and whoever I choose, they're lucky to have me. I want to be the one. This is how he lived his life. I want to be the one to tell others what God they're going to worship. And he set up idols. And he worshiped false gods. And here's the truth. We do this every day in our lives. We don't call things gods because we're more spiritual than that. But we act as though we have other gods. The reality is we were created to worship. We were made in the image of God. You were made, you were made to worship the God of the universe. The question in all of our lives isn't, it isn't will we worship? No, no, we all worship something. The question is what will you worship? Manasseh was making decisions out of his broken humanity. He was making decisions out of something in him that was prideful. He, he, he wanted to be accepted by the other kings. He wanted to be on the throne and say, see, I fit in. Hey, invite me to the party. Invite me to, to give me the country club. Give me the, give me whatever you have. I want it to. I want to be just like you. I don't want to be my own little nation that we're different than everybody else. I want to be like everybody else so I can fit in, so I can be a king among the kings. And he did all of this to meet the needs of his prideful heart. He's not a nice dude. He was selfish. There's a book by Timothy Keller. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, read it, I would encourage you to do so. It's called Counterfeit Gods. It's very powerful. And this is what he says about idols in our lives. He says, an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. Therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored. Now we're harming others, even ourselves in order to get it. This is the reality of pride. Nobody says in their relationships, you know, we, it, things just weren't working out and so we both decided to double down on being more prideful and man, we just, we've just, we're really connecting now. <laughs> Nobody says that. Nobody says, you know, what really, what really helped me at work is when I, I stopped admitting when I was ever wrong, and all of a sudden the boss was like, wow, you're great. I started blaming. You know, what happened in my life, what changed, I started blaming everyone else for everything negative in my life, and I didn't take any personal responsibility, and I just, I lived my own way, and so everything else started working out. Nobody says that. Pride is a very destructive thing. And we compartmentalize, but it's okay here, and it's not okay here, but it's okay here. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be proud of something. Like, I'm proud of who God is. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of you. But if my kids say, Dad, 
let's do this, and I know it violates the word of God, I say no, because I worship God, I don't worship you. My wife says, hey, let's do this, and, and well, that's not really, I don't, that's not for believers to do or to believe or to, it, I don't say, oh, okay, I'll do that to make you happy. That means I've made her my God. No, no, I say, actually, I'm not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that We're, because God, I worship God. He tells me what to do. Manasseh had pride and it destroyed his life. So I wanna zoom out just for the sake of time, but then I wanna zoom in. Manasseh has a son. His name is Amon. Not Jamaican, Amon, but it's Amon, A-M-O-N or Amon, but he has a son. So Manasseh dies and his son sits on the throne. And he's there for two years. And the scripture says, verse 20 through 21 of chapter 21 says, he did in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiped the idols of his father had worshiped and bowing down to them, he forsook the Lord and the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to God. He sits on the throne for two years. And when he dies, his son Josiah is placed on the throne. So you got your first king, Manasseh, full of pride. Second king, Amon, full of pride. Now we look at this third king. King Josiah, was, he was a remarkable young man. He was completely different than his father and his grandfather. But his, his, the details of him coming to the throne, it's a bit unusual, even, even for Bible times. It would be definitely unusual today, but for Bible times, it was even a little unusual. And what happened is his father was murdered. He was, and that, when his father was murdered, he was crowned at the ripe old age of eight years old. Now, if you could just use your imagination with me a little bit this morning. Imagine Josiah, he grew up in the palace. He was a prince, grew up around. I mean, his grandfather was king, his father is king. He lived the, the palace life. He's a young man though. He's running, playing, playing, throwing sticks at stuff and rocks at things and he was just a kid. He was familiar though with the day in and day out of the palace. But I want you just to understand where this young man's coming from as now he sits on the throne. He wasn't raised in the ways of God he, by his grandfather or father. And one day this young man hears a commotion in the palace. He hears shouts and screaming and cursing and something violent is happening. And as he hears it, he hears gasps that sound familiar and then all of a sudden he realizes Someone just killed my father. And then in the midst of that, those who killed his father are then hunted down. The conspirators who wanted to overthrow, now they are hunted down and they are killed. They are murdered. And then they turn to Josiah, those who killed the conspirators and say, hey, you're king. He's like, what? And this young man, birthed and raised 
in the cesspool of wickedness and idolatry emerges in the whirlwind of assassination and murder as a godly, humble king. Look at what the Bible says about Josiah. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways, look at this, not of his father, not of his grandfather, in the ways of his father, David. Not turning aside to the right or to the left. How could this be? I mean, it's just remarkable. Something about this young man's heart and spirit allows him to desire God. He recognized what happened with Manasseh. Anyone who grew up, who grew up in a family that is, was full of pride, you, you know things once you get out of that family, what you don't want to do in your own family, don't you? The way that you felt when dad was acting that way, you thought, I'm not going to make, I don't, as your life is transformed by Christ, you're thinking, I'm, I don't want my children to feel that. I don't want my family to be that. But there was something about him. He was humble. Now, we don't know any information about why he came to this conclusion. But what we do know is in 2 Chronicles 34, he says this. It says this, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, look at this, he began to seek the God of his father, David. He was 16 years old. All of a sudden, he's like, I, don't, I, I just... If I'm going to be king, I don't, I, I don't want what dad had. I don't want what, what grandpa did. I, I don't want, I, I, there's something different here. His heart was open and sensitive to the leading, to the prompting of God. There was something about this young man's heart that's, that's completely opposite than his prideful grandfather, his prideful father. He had seen the destruction in their lives. He saw what pride did to the people he loved. He saw what pride did to his own nation. He saw what pride did to him. And Josiah made a decision, I'm going to humble myself under the one true God. And his decision is the decision that you and I make as we come to the scriptures. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. In chapter 22, Josiah is leading the repairs of the temple. I love this passage. It is so cool to me. Josiah's like, listen, let's, 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 let's go back to, what, to who David worshiped. Let's go back to the one true God. And so he's, he's doing, he's taking the, the altars, the demonic altars out of the temple. He's knocking down the, the Asherah poles. They're working on the temple. They're, they're sweeping all of that, getting the stench of, of wickedness out. And all of a sudden, while they're doing this, this guy named Helkiah, he's one of the priests. He's of the priestly order. Interesting enough, he's actually the prophet Jeremiah's dad. But he finds a book. It's not in the ark where it should be. It's not. And he finds this book. And they blow the dust off of the book. And it's the Bible. And they begin to read it. And they begin to read it to Josiah. And he's listening to this. And, and he hears what God's purpose, what God's plan, and God's call on, on his people to live out his way. 
He hears God's promises. He hears, listen, you are to be different than the nations of the world. You are to be different than those who are, who are broken in sin. You're to be different. You're to be a light. You're to, you're to shine brightly among the nations. So when people look to you, they go, your God is the one true God. So he hears all of this and he recognizes we have not been doing this. And listen, listen, I want you to read what happened when he came to the word of God with a spirit of humility. He was convicted. Verse 11 in chapter 22 says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. It was, a, it was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of humility. He didn't bow, he didn't bow his neck and say, nope, nope. I'll do it my way. He totally humbled himself. And after the hearing of the word, after the hearing of the Bible, he calls all the people together. He has, a, he has national repentance. They recommit themselves to God. Not out of their own, this is what I'll do for you, God, and now you can do this for me. It was total humility and submission to the God of the universe, to the word of God, to the purpose of their life. And so he does it. And he leads the nation in repentance. I want you to catch something here. Up to, uh, up to Josiah, the nation was under judgment. Because of all the evil that Manasseh had done, the kings before him, it was under judgment of God. God was angry. In that first passage we read, it says that God's anger burned against him because he was, he was using God's precious people and leading them astray to worship other gods. And so they were under judgment. Josiah knew this. But Josiah cries out to God. Listen to what God says to Josiah, 2 Kings twenty two nineteen. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people. That this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I, listen to what God says, I indeed heard you, says the Lord. And so what happened is though this destruction and judgment that was coming to Israel. Because of Josiah's humility, because of his repentance, because he said, Lord, I, I just want to, I want to honor you with my life. God paused their destruction because the one leading, the one in charge had turned his heart to God and he had turned the people back to God and God held back his destruction, held back his judgment. And so because of Josiah's humility, I want you to see the restorative power of humility. Pride is the wrecking ball to your life. But I'm telling you, according to scripture, humility is, there is, is the restorative decision and power that, that God cannot resist coming to you. He cannot resist blessing your life. He cannot resist leading you and guiding you and, and drawing near to you. He, he cannot resist that. Josiah had to make some very difficult decisions that went against the norm. People didn't like him. 
The prophets of Baal and the prophets of these other demon gods, they didn't like him. But he was able to do it, not from this internal motivation. I'm going to make my mark. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going I'm to be the king everyone remembers. It wasn't for the motivation of pride. It wasn't pride that, that gave him the grace to tear down and remove the, the wicked things from the nation, to confront the people that were opposed to what God was wanting to do. He did it from God's grace that only comes through humility. We as believers, many times we think, man, I just got to, our motivation is us. Our motivation is, hey, maybe people will see me. Our motivation is this idea. The motivation, even of preaching a message is, are people going to like it? Josiah didn't give a rip. He said, Does, is God going to like it? If the answer is yes, then I'm doing it. And we are plagued as humanity with pride. And I'd be willing to say a lot of the things in our life that are actually not working, if we were to dig a little deeper, we'd say it's because we're building them on our own pride. Because we, we actually care more about what others think than we do about what God thinks. It could even be religious We all have to, have to walk this, this tension of, of, no, we serve God. But what, what happens is the acts of serving then become what we want other people to see. And affirm us as, oh, you must really love God. Yes, I do. And what's happening? We're doing it for their affirmation, not doing it to please the Father. It's a motivation issue of our hearts. You can, have the, you can do the same action, have the same, do the same thing, but they are both motivated. One will attract the favor of God and one will not. God calls us to be people of humility because what humility says is that I can't do this without his grace. I can't raise my family without God's grace. I can't breathe without God's grace. I can't think without God's grace and coffee. I can't. I'm just kidding. Humility says this is not about me. Humility says, Lord, I'm your servant God, use me today, wherever I walk, whatever I do. Humility is not concerned of what culture thinks of us. Humility is absolutely obsessed with what God thinks of us. Any other value that you put that is a, a, on something else that is above God's value is idolatry. And God wants us to walk in his blessing. We will never walk in the blessing and the favor of God unless we make a decision to be a follower of him and him alone. And in our pain and in things that, that go wrong in our lives, we don't blame him. We don't shake our fists at him. We, say, we don't say, how dare you? We don't, we don't say, I can't believe you. We don't give him the middle finger. We say, Lord, I trust you because your word says you work all things together for good. For those who love you, Lord, you know I love you. And when God says, I want you to do something for me, you don't think, well, hang on, God. Let me make sure that I'm okay with that. It says, Lord, I will do whatever you want. 
There have been times in Caroline's life that we were challenged to do things that, that were like, it was, it was God's great assignment to deliver us from pride. Anyone ever had one of those, you felt like, yep, that's the anointing I'm walking in. God's getting pride off my life. We've had to walk it through. There have been times when we made decisions to, to obey the Lord, to do something or to go somewhere or to, or to follow his calling. And I, I, I'm telling you, I can take you to the place in the carpet that I laid before God and said, God, things aren't working out how I thought you were going to work them out. Lord, I look like an idiot. God, I look like a failure. God, I can, I'm I, like, this is my family here. And what are people going to think? And he says, excuse me, can you just repeat that again? What are people going, and then while I'm saying it, I go, oh. The reason why I'm struggling is because I'm prideful. And this is, I'll never forget the moment. The Lord said, Jason, is being my son enough? Is that enough for you? Knowing that I love you, knowing that I adore you, knowing that you are my son. And I meet with you and I, and I, I put impressions on your heart. I show you who I am in my word. If you don't do another thing that gets any, has, increases any influence, increases any, any responsibility, increases any, oh, look at so-and-so or look at me or look what I'm doing. If you don't do anything else, Is that enough? And I wept before. I said, well, it wasn't, but it is now. And I humbled myself under his mighty hand because nothing else matters except his favor of his attention and sonship on our lives. Grace follows humility. Peter says this. He says, be clothed with humility. He's writing to believers. I want you to, to hear this and receive this today. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Look, it says, that he may. In other words, there is no exaltation without humility. He cannot and will not elevate, fulfill your dreams, fulfill what's in your heart. He will not and cannot do those things in your life that you want him to do unless you humble yourself. And once you do, it's in that act of humility and coming underneath his authority, the word of God, recommitting your life to the Lord like Josiah did. He tore his clothes. He, he called his, 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 the nation together. He called his family together. And he says, from now on, we only care what God thinks. And it's in that humility, you humble yourself, that God 
may now exalt you in due time. But the motivation isn't, I'm going to humble myself so I can be exalted. No, no. That will be tested in due time. You humble yourself. Before you make a decision, Lord, is this what you want? Before you move your family to a, a conservative state, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm, listen, you, you have to make this decision. I'm just, I'm just, I'm asking you, or I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you. Ask the Lord. Before you, before you date that person, ask the Lord. Before you say yes to that proposal, ask the Lord. Before you sell that property, ask the Lord. Before you send your kids off into a trajectory, you know that's gonna actually, it'll be you know, stable for them and they'll get their degree and then the, ask the Lord. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. God, what do you want? When things come into your life and, and the pressure to conform and, and be like the other, other people around you, like Manasseh, ask the Lord. Be familiar with this word. Be like, uh-uh, no, that's not for me. I'm a follower of Jesus. And then when you blow it or when you don't act like Jesus, what do you do? You humble yourself under the Lord and then you repent to the person. You repent to the whatever is going on. You, you humble yourself under the Lord. You do it because that is the place in which God's favor rests, is in the posture of humility. We chase our tails all the time, trying to get God's favor, get God's, you know, his power, his movement in our life. And, oh, I'll do this and I'll bless that. And I'll, oh, that way, see God, see what I'm doing, see what I'm doing. God's looking for a heart that just says, because you said, I'll do. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, did all of that to lift his own name up. And as you read the story, he became enslaved. And in the last years of his life, couple years of his life, he was in great turmoil and he, it's a great passage. He humbled himself, he prayed. He had been taken and enslaved. He was no longer in Jerusalem. And he just realized, what have I done? You may find yourself there today. You're in a situation, you go, what have I done? And you are outside of the place of God's favor. Like Manasseh was outside of Jerusalem, which is the place in which God has placed his favor, his name. And he says, what have I done? And he humbled himself and he prayed. And here's the beauty. Listen, you heard all this, the dumb things Manasseh did. He sacrificed his own son. He replaced the worship of, of Yahweh in the temple with an, he did it. But when he humbled himself and prayed, says the Lord heard him and brought him back to Jerusalem because he honored his humility. Now the damage was done for the nation, but Manasseh was able be restored. He humbled himself. 
Manasseh wanted to lift his own name up and he ended up enslaved. Josiah wanted to lift the name of God up and he led a whole nation to freedom. A renewed spirit of a humility towards God will bring restoration to your life. And that's what I believe God wants for us. Just like Josiah. Humility is the key that unlocks God's favor in your life. It is, it, it, favor doesn't come without it. It's it. And the growth in your spiritual life and the growth and the favor of God that's, that's shown on your family is connected to the heart of humility that you have when you come to the Word of God. As you wake up in the morning, as you come to church, it's connected. We don't, we don't come to the Word to become a better version of ourselves. We don't submit to it because it's about us. We... We meet God and we humble ourselves under the word so that we can become like Christ. Not a better me. Good heavens, we don't need a me. We don't need a better me. A better me is still bad. But to become like Christ, that only happens through humility. And so God wants us to understand today that he's inviting us to the place of humility. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance, oh man, from the proud. You want closeness with God? Humility is your ticket. It's not a warning, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Isaiah 57, 15 says, this is God speaking, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits, look at this, are contrite and humble. We want to be like Christ. So who is Jesus? What is he like? And we battle this. Yes, but I want to be something. But I want to be heard and I want to be seen and I want to feel respected and I want to... There's nothing wrong with those things. But what's our motivation? Because Paul writes us today and he says this, Philippians 2 verse five through nine, you must have the same spirit that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, you were more important than his position as God. But he, he remains God. But he didn't think I have to, I, no, no, I can't, I can't demonstrate anything that they would think is, a, is weak. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave 
and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, and because of that, so that God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Pride is the great destroyer. Humility is the great liberator. And Jesus is the great example. So if we can, just close your eyes just for a moment. Just for a, just for a, a moment this morning, what areas has the Holy Spirit identified? The only The reason why he's identified these areas of pride in our life is because the Lord wants to be close to you. And he keeps his distance from pride. So he's revealing these things to you so that he can bless you, so that he can move on your behalf, so that you can have the peace you desire, so you can stop fighting, so you can stop living in your head after every conversation. What do they think? It's about me. Do they think I was good? Do they think I was bad? He wants to come into your marriage and bring healing and restoration. And he wants to come into your relationship with your children and, and restore and heal. He wants to move in your finances and bring peace and stability. He wants to bless you. He wants to move in your life. He wants to lead your steps. And so we can't make any of that happen, but what we can do is humble ourselves. So Lord, right now, we repent of our pride. Forgive me. Forgive me for being prideful. Forgive me for not being humble of spirit. Forgive me for not asking you about things that I should have. Forgive me for imposing my prideful will on my children. Just whatever it is, just ask him to forgive you. Lord, like just Josiah this morning, we come before you. And we internally tear our clothes. And we humble ourselves under you. And we submit ourselves under your word. We submit our desires under your word. And we thank you. We thank you 
for the closeness we sense even right now. So Lord, I pray for your grace that would allow us to continue to hear your voice, continue to repent, continue to rewire our brains that we could have the mind of Christ, that we would be like Jesus, following in his example. And though it, is, it violates our human nature, it is the way in which we will see the supernatural work in our lives. So today, your people stand before you as they stood before Josiah, and we declare we will humble ourselves under your mighty hand and look, look forward to your faithfulness that in due time, we're gonna see you do amazing things through our lives. And so Lord, today I pray for your peace and your grace on your people. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you recognize that you do not know Jesus, that you have not actually humbled yourself in submission to him. And you want to give your life to Jesus right now and maybe even rededicate your life to Jesus right now. Nobody's looking around. I'm just gonna ask you as a humble sign just to raise your hand right where you are right now. Thank you, God bless you. Bless you, thank you. Just hold it up, just raise it, just, just as this. It's, it's humbling, your flesh is telling you don't do it. I'm telling you, this is your act of humility. God bless you, thank you. Amen, you can put your hands down. God bless you. Many, many of you raise your hands. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if we could just pray this together in humility as a church. And for those of you who raised your hand, I'm, the scripture says that as you, you've sensed God's call and tug on your heart and you are, you are giving your life to him today. As you pray this, you just mean it with your heart and God's gonna meet you right where you are. Let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. I repent of my sin. I put my trust in the work of you, Jesus. I believe that you died for me on the cross in my place. I believe that you rose from the dead in my place. That's so why I put my trust in you today and I humble myself under your mighty hand. My life belongs to you. I love you. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. If you gave your life to Jesus today, I, I would, I, we would be honored to go on a journey with you. You can go to our website and uh, there's a QR card code right in front of you and just there's a spot for you to say, you know, give my, gave my life to Jesus and we wanna help you on this journey. I'm so excited for, for the decision you've made. Let's all stand together. And I'd be honored to pray over you today. If we can, if you're able and willing, could you just lift your hands to the Lord at a, just a posture sign of receiving from God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you bless your people, that you'd strengthen them, you'd lead them, you'd guide them, you'd protect them from all the strategies of the enemy. God, today, may they leave here just with a sense of your incredible grace because we have taken a step to humble ourselves and we have done it. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would bring increase to their lives, that you would heal their marriages, you'd heal the relationship with the closest of people around them that might be broken. God, I ask you that you would go before them, that you would 
Show them what steps that you want them to take. And that God, that you would bless your people. And as they leave here today, that they would be lights that shine brightly in a dark world. Use them and bless them today. In Jesus' name we all say, amen and amen. I love